Take your Bible and open it up to Philippians, the book, and we'll start with chapter 1 and try to understand um, some inside-the-text type information, which just means the outline and trying to understand what God would have us to learn. I've entitled this sermon, Facing Adversity with Joy, and we're going to look at these three basic truths. I want you to understand as we look at this book, as we've seen it overviewed for us in that video, and that's a great resource for you, Read Scripture app is available for you to download and to use in your own Bible reading in your pursuit of God this year. And I want to encourage you to consider that if you haven't done that yet. But these three principles I want you to consider. Paul understood ministry. I want you to see this about Paul. He understood ministry. He persevered under difficulty. And the difficulty is not just imprisonment, but does include the imprisonment we've talked about. And he treated others like family. That last point, treating others like family, is the one I'm going to lean into during the second portion of the sermon. We have these passages in chapters 3 through 4 where he says, brothers, brothers, brothers. He says that five different times. And that's brotherly advice, which is family advice that we need to consider. Let's start with this idea that Paul understood ministry. If you look down at verse 1 of chapter 1, we see that he valued the church. And what we note here is Paul gives us one of the most concise definitions of the church that you can find in the New Testament. He starts with Paul and Timothy. And the reason for saying that, I don't think Timothy wrote this letter. I think Paul is the author of the letter, but he's including Timothy because they first met Paul and Timothy together on that missionary journey and knew Timothy was a part of this whole process, then refers to him later on in the book in chapter two, talks about Timothy ministering beside him. But then he defines the church in this way. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. So what we see first about about Paul's understanding of the church, the church consists of saints that are in Christ. So saints, plural, it's more than one. So when two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them, it says in Matthew 18. And we see that those that are in Christ would be those that hold this in common, that they understand that they cannot get to heaven based on their own good works or their own righteousness. They need a substitute. They need Jesus to be the substitute for their sinfulness. So they're in Christ in that they have repented of their sin and said, I need Jesus to cover my sin, and I believe Jesus rose again. They're in Christ. They're believers. And so we see this common ground, the gospel, that unites us. But notice he further breaks it down, not just saints. He talks about to the overseers. And we have overseers here referring to pastors, That's one of three terms. You have overseer, you have the idea of elder, and you have the idea of shepherd. Those three terms are used interchangeably. An overseer is not a separate office in the church, a group of men that have business experience that make business decisions for the church. Overseers, pastors, elders are all the same person, and you can see that affirmed in Acts 20 and 1 Peter chapter 5. But they are in not only just in the combination of saints, but you have overseers, and then you have deacons, plural, or servants. And we see this idea of deacons as ones that come alongside of the pastors and assist them in serving the congregation with special needs that come along. Acts 6 is our first example of deacons getting selected when the Grecian widows were being overlooked. And from there, Paul clearly understood church because from last week's sermon, we saw the priority he placed on prayer. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, and then he talks about the qualifications for pastors, 
in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and deacons in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 12. So it's believers with leaders all pursuing Jesus in a particular place in Philippi. So what we get to know is that Paul knew church, and I want you to know church as well and appreciate church because when we face adversity like we faced last year, and we will face it in 2021, and I have no idea at what level it's going to come at us. We still have the concerns of a pandemic going on, which impacts us with our physical wellness, our financial wellness, the perspective on how as a church we can be effective in reaching the lost when you have this social distance that is just really imposed uh, on everyone. So it's not the same as you go up and just strike up a conversation with someone. Their first response may be, six feet, please. No, I don't want to talk to you right now. So we need to know that we have a place that we can come to to say, this is our place where we meet together as believers with leadership to glorify God. Paul understood church. I want to make sure you understand church. Church is not an event. Church is a body, alive and active, holding each other, lovingly accountable and encouraging one another. And you'll notice even in our services, it's not just come and hear me preach one sermon and then we're gone. It's intended to be interactive in our prayer, in our singing, in our understanding, because this is, this is something we're to do together. And I just want you to get this Paul got church. He also understood the importance of sharing in the work of ministry. This is really essential. If we're going to grow as a church, we need to learn to give up some of the oversight that we have to multiply. And Paul understood that, and he shared. Notice he mentions in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel. He thanked the Lord for every one of the believers in Philippi because they partnered with him. It wasn't, you received what I started for you, it's that you joined me in the work of ministry. And if you look at chapter 2, verses 19 through 24, we have an example of Timothy partnering with Paul in ministry and being a blessing to Paul. And then Epaphroditus in verses 25 through, through 30 He is, a lot of people believe, not just a member of the Church of Philippi, but possibly even the pastor of the Church of Philippi. There's some debate over that, but he came with a gift in hand, and Paul said, that was a significant blessing to me. So notice in the Timothy passage, verses 19 through 24, here in chapter 2, it talks about the fact that in verse 22, but you know Timothy's proven work, how as a son with a father he has served with me. So this idea of with me. And then Epaphroditus, notice in verse 29, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete was lacking in your service to me. You were supposed to partner with me. Epaphroditus did that on your behalf, and there is partnership going on. We continue to see partnership in this book. In chapter four, we have an example of a a list of people. You have Yodia, Syntyche, and then true companion, which if you remember in your study, is that just a reference to all the believers in the church? Or is there actually a person named true companion? There's a possibility of that in this context. And then there's also the example here of Clement. And what I want you to see is that Paul understood partnership in ministry. And in verses 14 through 20, we see this again. He understood the connection, which was super important. Um, Notice in verse 15, 
And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no one entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Okay, so he, he valued the church. He understood partnership. How, how much do you get partnership? Okay, first of all, you have to value the church so you're a part of church, which is so much more than just showing up. To value church means you join the church, you become a member of the church. It does mean that you would consider being a part of community group if you are available during the Wednesday night time period. Some of you work, and I understand it doesn't work for you. I know of at least one group that meets on Tuesday night so that the members can attend. And so we can have creativity in the partnership of ministry. We have all sorts of opportunity to minister to the children but, or even through the sound system. But if we just have the same people doing it over and over and over again, it's exhausting. And it actually is discouraging. And it impacts those that are faithfully serving when it comes to worship because they're sitting in an auditorium like this, a gymnatorium or whatever we want to call this, and they're looking around at the sea of people and they're wondering why do only the same five people show up every Saturday night to, to set up chairs or to set up the AV system? And you might say, well, why don't you maybe tell me that there's a need? Well, I've been trying the last several weeks. There's a need. There's an opportunity. Will you respond? Everyone has something to do on Saturday, and I'm not asking you to commit to every single Saturday for the rest of your life. In fact, that is one of the downsides of partnership in ministry. When you hear me talk about Paul understood partnership, you're like, oh man, I, I know I should, but I don't know if I want to sign my life away for 2021. I just think that we're soft, and we are not ones that know what it's like to really engage in ministry. I, I can't tell you the shock that I had when I initially visited in, in the Greenville area after serving in Minneapolis. Every Saturday, all day long, was spent calling on people and visiting people and trying to get people to come to church from the morning until about 2 or 3 o'clock, and then we'd meet together for prayer, and then we'd eat, and then we'd get ready for the next day. Every single Saturday. And some of you went to churches like that, and you're here, you're like, I'm so glad we don't do that here. No, no, just understand this. I want you to know that we need greater partnership in ministry from the members of Palmetto Baptist Church. And if you are confused or unsure about how to get connected, one of the best ways you can do that is you can look around and see the needs. And I, I, want, I want just a uh, starting point. An open door would be the setup and teardown of chairs. Okay, and then beyond that, we are kicking off a ministry to the Heritage Trace apartment complex starting mid-January. We have opportunities to minister to the children. We have opportunities to connect with guests that come here. And I want you to know this is not any one of the pastor's church alone or the deacon's church or the AV team's church. It's your church. It's our church. Let's partner in ministry. Okay, let's keep going. He embraced hardship. Well, embracing hardship is clearly prison, okay, Verses 12 through 18 of chapter 1. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on that one, but it wasn't three meals a day with cable TV. It was you only ate if someone gave you food. You only were clothed if someone brought you a cloak to put on your body. You only wrote letters if someone brought you parchments and a pen or quill or whatever. And Paul, we see, calls out for that in the latter part of some of his letters. And so he knew hardship 
personally, physically, but I also want you to know that he knew hardship within the church. Look over at chapter 3, verse 2. Set your minds, oh, I'm in Colossians, i got to get to Philippians. Chapter 3, verse 2. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And here's the highlight I want you to know, that Paul understood hardship not only personally, physically, but he knew it from within the church. There would be people who would come in and come up with rules and regulations that if you do this, then you will be godly type of thing. And it created tension as he is talking to the church at Philippi. He understood tension from false teachers and false teaching within the church of Philippi, and that happens in every church. Now, we don't know. I don't know of any false teaching going on from any of you, but we've just come off of COVID, right? We haven't had a lot of opportunities for people to have Sunday school classes or to teach. We do have a lot of discipleship groups. We're not aware of any false teaching going on, but I am aware that every time Paul writes, he tells us to be aware of it, so we need to be cautious of it. We need to make sure that we hold to the truth of what our belief system is, which we find in our bylaws, right? Our statement of faith. I want to encourage you. This is what Paul did when he was going through adversity. He understood the truth and held up what is true. Look at verses 12 through 14. This is where all of us happen to be. Hardship physically, we've all experienced it to some level. Outside, someone speaking the wrong thing. Some of us have experienced that. But what about this journey? Verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made it his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's this? This is that tension that, man, I made a mess of this past week. God, would you please forgive me? And then you're constantly reminded of your own sinfulness and that tension of I want to take a step forward, but I keep taking steps back. It's the Romans 7 sort of thing. It's you and me experiencing the ups and downs of our spiritual life. He understood hardship. Ministry is full of hardship physically through teaching here within the body that we need to keep an eye on, through our own journey of trying to be authentic with one another and seeking after genuine change in our lives. We're all a work in progress. And then in chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, you have this tension going on between two faithful members who are partners in ministry, Yodia and Syntyche. They're at odds. Can you help work that out, Paul says? And that happens in our church. In 4, verse 12, he understood this. By, you notice that I'm not spending a ton of time in 4, 2 through 3. Do I know of tensions that are going on between some members in our church? I know of some. Um, but my main pattern when I preach is not to confront you publicly without having done it privately, right? That's not, I, don't, I, I always felt weirded out when the pastors would start ripping into, I know some of you are, are fighting and bickering and complaining. And everyone's like, whoa, what is his problem? Is it true? Is it going on? Is there tension between you and another member? Get that right. Make sure that you understand that there's hardship in ministry. People are not always going to see it the way you see it. I know that for sure. You have ideas, and no, I don't think so, but that's normal. That's ministry. Paul understood ministry, and if we don't understand ministry, when hardship hits us, we're going to just be totally thrown off, not know what to do. 
Paul understood, look at how he summarizes it in verse 12. He says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound and in every, any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him, Christ, who strengthens me. And then he understood the centrality of the gospel. Um, this is a beautiful picture of chapter 2, which we saw on the overview. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, is a wonderful poem of the humility of Christ to come down in his humanity to empty himself, which means he gave up his right of access to his ability to do whatever in his deity, never lost his deity, but gave up his, relinquished his rights to the will of the Father and did whatever the Father willed for him to do. And that is the center of this book, and the gospel must be the center of everything that we do. If we understand ministry, that's what it's about. Paul understand, understood ministry. And then, really briefly here, Paul persevered under difficulty. I want you to understand that the repetition of the term, I have listed all these verses, and what you find here, follow along with me in your Bible, he persevered under difficulty because he, he really encouraged a positive outlook. One, four. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. He's encouraging this idea of having love for all the saints and this joy and this hope because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Look at, uh, with me at verse 18. You know what? I just read from me Colossians again. I just got to keep flipping my Bible. Let me try 1-4 again. You're so kind. No one says anything. You know, you can say, hey, pastor, go over to Philippians. Okay. Verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine, for you have making my prayer with joy. There, that's making more sense. In verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Look at verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. This is the joy that we keep seeing repeated over and over and over again. 2 verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. Look at, uh, with me, 16 of chapter 2. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. He's saying, I might even die. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And if you follow the verses that I've listed, you'll keep hearing him say, joy, joy, rejoice, be happy. I think in the midst of adversity that he was facing in prison from false teaching, his own journey of trying to do what is right in his own walk with the Lord, and the understanding of having plenty or having nothing, he found joy and he encourages us to experience that same joy. It is a decision that we make as we meditate on Christ. And he highlighted the importance of servant leadership. And I love this. Each of these texts refer to service. Paul and Timothy are called themselves in, in the opening book. Paul and Timothy, notice how he says, diaconate or servants. Why does he call himself a servant? Because of the great model of service through Jesus in chapter 2 
that we see in verses 1 through 11. He highlights Epaphroditus and his service. He highlights Timothy's service. He highlights the true companion, Yodia, Syntyche, and Clement's service. And he highlights, of course, all in Jesus and his service. And so here's what I'm saying. When it comes to adversity that we will face in 2021, we have to understand what ministry is all about. And as we do that, we are choosing to have joy and we're choosing to continue to serve others. Joy and service. And as we're doing that, we understand what it means to make a difference for the cause of Christ. And at times when we go through adversity, we don't want to serve others. We want to be self-focused. But let's go back to the definition of joy. Ready? Jesus, others, and you. What a wonderful way to spell joy. And then we see the last part, which I'll bring up in our second part of the message, Paul treated others like family. Just scan your eyes at chapter 3 and 4, and I'm going to look at these. You see it starts out with the reference to brothers. Finally, my brothers. And then we see in verse 13, brothers. In verse 17, brothers. Verse, chapter 4, verse 1, brothers. We see the repetition of brothers all throughout this text in verse 8 of chapter 4, brothers. So we're going to look at his brotherly advice, because Paul turns the corner, because first we observe he understood ministry, and he persevered under difficulty, so what practical advice does he give to us? We're going to turn there and look at that in just a, a bit. We're going to get to dismiss the kids at this point, so let me invite you to do two things. Stand with me right now. Worship team, go ahead and come on up here. Um, I'm going to invite the kids to come up here. I'm going to pray with them, and then we're going to sing so kids coming over here, let me pray with you, and we'll dismiss you for junior church. So one of the many blessings of having taught in the School of Religion over at Bob Jones University has been the opportunity to interact with students both inside the classroom and outside the classroom. And it's been an interesting journey of um, having students come in and ask advice and, and giving advice back to them. And, and I, I used to feel like I was giving them brotherly advice because of my age when I started. Now it's more like giving fatherly advice, literally, since I've had um, all three of my kids in class at one point or another. But Paul here is relating to the context of brotherly advice that he's giving to the church at Philippi in chapters 3 and 4. And the reason for that is that we're supposed to view everyone in this church as either a mother, a father or a brother or a sister. That's in 1 Timothy chapter 5. That's how we're to treat each other, with all purity. And so he is giving this word brothers, and this is in the plural, which means brothers and sisters. So he's just talking to the whole group in just kind of a general way, saying, I want you to know I have some advice to give you. So this is our last one that we're going to look at, and I want you to get this. He did understand ministry, and he persevered under difficulty, but he treated the church in Philippi like family, and he encouraged them to do the same thing. So let's consider this. Paul treated others like family. And you'll notice here, this is an important truth in chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. Verses 1 through 8, the call is to make Christ central. So open your Bible, look with me at Philippians 3. Notice what he says. Finally, my brothers, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And I love that. Because it's not just joy, just be happy, make yourself happy, smile and fake it. There is a source of the joy. The joy is in the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord. Make Christ central. 
And you need to do that. He offers you a personal relationship through this relationship that you have. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. And he talks about looking out for those that are teaching the wrong things. And then he goes back to talking about the fact that if I'm bragging or comparing my life to their life, I kind of actually have some serious credentials, and he gives us a lot of his credentials. But jump down to verse 7. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Brothers, make your pursuit of Jesus a personal pursuit and know him personally. And notice it goes on in verses 9 through 12 that this is possible because of the righteousness that he provides. As I pursue Jesus, I'm so aware of my own sinfulness, and Paul is as well. And so he reminds us of this truth, which is so encouraging in verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. When you face hardship, do you look at it as, this is an opportunity for me to grow personally. And I can do that because of the righteousness I've received from Christ, because Christ makes it possible. Or do we say, oh no, woe is me, here we go again. This is going to be just like 2020. I want to encourage you to fight against that and to say, I want to know Jesus. Jesus, help me to know you. To know him is to know life eternal. That's what this is all about. It's not even about your personal vocation or my personal vocation or the decisions that I make. It's all about knowing Jesus and knowing that it's possible because of his sacrifice that he made. Do you want to know him at that level? Like that is your passion, that's your focus. I know we would all say, of course, that's what I want, but I don't know that we all really practice that on a regular basis, right? It's not an unbelief. Voltaire was an infidel of the most profound type. He wrote, I wish I had never been born. It's not making unbelief the central thing. It's making Jesus the central thing. It's not in pleasure. Lord Byron lived a life of pleasure. If anyone did, he wrote, the worm, the canker, and grief are mine alone. It's not in money. Jay Gold, the American millionaire, had, spent, had plenty of money. When dying, he said, I suppose I am the most miserable man on the earth. Not in position and fame, Lord Beaconsfield enjoyed more than his share of both position and fame, and he wrote, youth is a mistake, manhood a struggle, old age a regret. And not in military glory. Alexander the Great conquered the known world in his day. Having done so, he wept in his tent before he said, there, is, there are no more worlds to conquer. Where is true joy found? It's found in Jesus Christ alone. And I want to encourage you because many times we turn on the TV and we find very little hope and very little encouragement. And I want to encourage you to open up your Bible and find hope and joy in Jesus. Next brother, verses 12 through 16. Believe change is possible. Now I read this passage with you, so I'm just going to refer to this in just little bullet points. I want you to understand that all of us in this room, all of us listening on live stream, we happen to be a work in progress. Okay, not that I've already attained. You haven't attained. Get used to that. Attaining means to take hold or grasp. I know what I'm trying to go after. I haven't quite gotten my arms around it yet or am already perfect. This is the idea of brought to an end a finished product. 
but I choose to do something different. I am not, I, I'm a work in progress, but I'm not bound by the past. And I want you to get this. A lot of you still feel as if when you introduce yourself, hi, my name's Jason, and I'm a, or I struggle with this, or I, no, no, you are a follower of Jesus. You're a work in progress, and you're a follower of Jesus. You have the ability to reclaim the years that you have wasted away, the prophets talk about in the, in the book of Joel. The, the years that the locusts have eaten are available to you. Stop worrying about what happened in the past and start focusing in on what's going on right now in, in your life through the power of the gospel. Please hear me say that one more time, because I think some of you need to hear it. You are not defined by your past. You have an opportunity to say, I am Christ, Christ is mine, I'm ready for whatever he has. And guess what, the next one, you can have hope for your future. And I love this, I press on, it means to pursue, strive with the purpose, I forget what is behind, it's to overlook, care nothing for it, I willfully neglect what's behind, and I strain forward to what lies ahead, which is to exert oneself to the uttermost. This takes effort. An example. You've heard of Corey Tenboon before? Corey Tenboon told of not being able to forget a wrong that had been done to her. And that is some of the most difficult to forget wrongs done to you, not just wrongs that you have done. She had forgiven the person, but she kept rehashing the incident and so couldn't sleep. Finally, Corey cried out to, the, to God for help in putting the problem to rest. His help came in the form of a kindly Lutheran pastor. Corey wrote, to whom I confessed my failures after two sleepless weeks. Up in the church tower, he said, nodding out the window, is a bell which is rung by pulling on the rope. But you know what? After the sexton lets go of the rope, the bell keeps on swinging. First ding, then dong. Slower and slower until there's finally a dong and it stops. I believe the same thing is true of forgiveness. When we forgive, we take our hand off the rope, but if we've been tugging out at our grievances for a long time, we mustn't be surprised if the old angry thoughts keep coming for a while. They're just dinging and donging of the old bell slowing down. And so it is proved to be there were a few more midnight reverberations, a couple dings when the subject came up in my conversation, but the force, which was my willingness in the matter, has gone out of them. They came less and less often, and at the last stopped altogether. We can trust God not only above our emotions, but also above our thoughts. And I do wish and hope for you to be able to completely forget what's happened to you, those that have been hurt or wronged or abused. I can't promise that you'll forget it completely. I can tell you that you can strive for the goal, the prize of the upward calling of Christ Jesus, which means that you forgive as you have been forgiven and you look for fulfillment not in the past and what's happened to you, but in the future and what God's going to offer to you and in the present, his presence with you. And I, I think that we need to be a church, and I think we have this going at some level, who is transparent enough to share struggles with one another, say, I'm, I'm really hurting. And could you pray with me about this? And where does that happen? Well, it doesn't normally happen on Sunday mornings. I'm, I'm open to that, of course, but it usually happens in those community groups, in those D groups, those discipleship groups, where you're saying, you know, can I be honest with you? This has been tough for me. We need to come alongside each other. 
And let me tell you this, that you might come alongside someone, but your turn is coming. You'll need others to come alongside you. That's just the way it works. And then he says, brothers, again in verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me. This is a, a bold statement, I have to admit. Right? Do you feel like you could say this to, hey, you want follow Jason? Do everything I do. Eat my Cheerios and bananas and raspberries and blueberries every morning. Come with me on my four-mile walk. Um, listen to the e-books I'm listening to. You know, would you want to do that? I, I think Paul is pretty ambitious in saying that. And a lot of us don't do it because we think in our humility, who wants to follow me? But Paul is saying this, notice, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. It doesn't call for perfection. It calls for pursuit of Jesus. Their end is, those that are walking as enemies of the cross, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, they're driven by gut decisions, their glory is in their shame, and their minds set on earthly things. Don't follow someone and don't be someone who's focused on earthly things, who makes decisions just on your gut, not on what God is revealing to you in Scripture. But there's a transition, there's submission. So this first thing I want you to know is imitate one who demonstrates self-discipline. In his thoughts, in his actions, be that type of a person. And then imitate someone who, de- who demonstrates submission, verses 20 and 21, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I have in the notes examples of how to be a good kind of mentor. I'll just encourage you to take a look at that at some point. It refers to the passage in First, uh, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, uh, 2, 1 and 2 in particular. And I want to encourage you to find faithful men, faithful people who will be able to teach others also. And you've heard this before, but they're fat, faithful, available, and teachable. right? People who are always just consistently around, who are available to interact with and and are willing to receive the truth. Be that kind of a person yourself. And then the last two in chapter four. He says in chapter four, verse one, therefore, my brothers, this is a long conclusion, isn't it? If you consider chapter three, finally, the last thing I have to say to you, and he gives you five points, right? So we're on the fourth of the five points. He says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, this is a commitment in conviction and belief. And then he gives us an illustration of some, temp, some uh, points of tension. So I want to encourage you, first of all, keep the gospel practical. And how do we do that? We do it in this, these two ways. We point others to Christ, like Yodia, Syntyche, true companion. In particular, Yodia and Syntyche needed help keeping focused. And Clement was one who needed it. And then point yourself to Christ in verses four through seven. Notice the call to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, your kind tolerance be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious to care for, meditate upon, or be concerned or burdened about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then truly, finally, this is the true final. He encourages us to think right, 
and he encourages us to do right. And notice what we're supposed to think on. And this is a great passage of scripture to memorize. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And do right, verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So the peace of Christ is, um, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding comes from the God of peace in verse 10. If we don't have action to the way we're thinking, it's falling flat. Faith without works is dead. So we have to think right and we have to choose to do right. I don't know which one of these the Lord is going to use in your own heart to encourage you, but you have them all five. And I want to encourage you to reflect on them. So here's some practical application. First, I want to encourage you to face adversity by rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoice, not just enjoy, not just by putting on a good smile, not just doing the thing by just choosing to be happy, but rejoice in the Lord. So face adversity by rejoicing in the Lord and focusing in on your relationship with God. Find hope in the example of those who have modeled joy amid adversity. And you might be able to look around you to see those that are are demonstrating submission, and they're not driven by just gut, like I don't feel good, therefore I won't, I won't do anything positive today. It, you, you might find people in our church that are focused in on Christ, but you have examples, I have examples all throughout scripture of those that chose to follow after Christ. And in the book of Philippians, we have Paul himself, we have Timothy, Epaphroditus, we have Clement, we have so many examples to follow. Find hope in the example of those who have modeled joy. Be that kind of a person as well. And then the last one is I want to encourage you to go back through those five brotherly statements. And I want to encourage you to think about which one of those does God want to use in your life? What do you need? Listen as I reread them to you. Do you need to make Christ central in 2021? Do you need to believe really in your heart that change is possible in your life? Do you know that help is available through mentorship. Brothers, do you know this? Do you just simply need to keep the gospel practical? Pointing others to Christ, pointing yourself to Christ, and you need to keep your focus simple, thinking right and doing right. I hope the Spirit of God does a work in each of your hearts and as he is in my heart. I'm going to pray and then invite you to give back to God what he's called from you. Father, thank you for the book of Philippians, the call for us to have joy in the midst of adversity. Bless your people now. This body of believers, Palmetto Baptist Church, as we cry out to you and ask you to do the work that only you can do, to humble ourselves before you and to find you sufficient and and faithful, to give us joy in the midst of adversity. So bless your people as they cry out to you. And Lord, draw people to salvation. Help them to know what it's like to be in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.